happened and and I just spent so much energy trying to manifest it happening like that so it was kind of a weird feeling of like oh I shouldn't be surprised that it happened because I I really worked so hard to make it happen but and just you know I was physically fatigued it was my fifth heat and I was up against Carissa who in my mind was the toughest competitor and I just kept questioning like do you have the stamina can you do it can you continually keep this this strength in my my focus and my presence and all of that, I, I didn't know if I could go the whole way and start from the bottom. So I don't know. I, I think when it finally happened, I just yeah, I couldn't believe it. I was just so overcome with tears and emotion and and to share that moment with Carissa too. Like she she had such a stellar year and and I I was always you know I. I was kind of hard to swallow this new format because yeah it's like she performs so well over the all the different waves over the year and that's how I've always won my world titles so to do it in this new format was super tough and and I'm actually it's insane that I even coming in at fifth place that I had a shot but it's also a really hard run so yeah if I can beat all of the top seeds in one day and the number one twice then yeah you deserve to be world champ so pretty stoked. Welcome to Blitzed, pure, tour, nerdism born. It is a hallmark moment for Australian women surfing. Yes, We're welcoming yes, into the world today the Fem Goat, the Oz Goat, eight world titles for Steph Gilmore. What a performance it was. I mean, few times in history has a surfer had to surf that many times to win an event, let alone a world title. Uh, there's been question marks over her motivation at times in the past and preparation is the first thing to suffer if motivation is an issue. But, uh, mate, I'll tell you, Steph looked as fit and raring to go as she's ever looked. And, uh, I mean, there was talk that, you know, she was doing all the extras outside the water and I thought it showed because, uh, the fitness to win from that position Mate, it's unquantifiable. Uh, it would have been so difficult. It's never been done. I have no idea how she summoned the energy to get it done, but the quality of the waves surely helped. They were dreamy conditions, and, uh, I mean, she would have just been fizzing to get another chance to surf out there with with one other person. But, fuck, what a performance. Oh, Smithy! 
Smimmy! The gold is back where it belongs, mate. On the shelf in Australia, led by the old-time queen. The queen is dead. Long live the true queen, the Swellian queen. Yes, queen! <laughs> Steph Gilmore overtakes Lane Beachley to be outright Australia's greatest ever competitive surfer, men's or women's. Style, grace, moxie, grit, grit, more grit. The performance of a lifetime, Smithy. The only precedent that I could think of uh, that really sort of, I guess, popped into my head was Kieran Perkins at the 96 Olympics in Atlanta. Do you remember that one? He was, uh, oh, he was, he, he was the defending Olympic gold medalist from, uh, I think it was Barcelona four years earlier, but he was out of form. He, he kind of had put on a bit of weight. Uh, he scratched into the final uh, over there in lane eight, uh, if you'll recall, and no one gave him a chance. Just written off, put in the swim of his life to uh, defend and win that gold medal race. But, mate, that's two medals four years apart. I mean, we're talking about eight world titles. The best surfer in the world eight times, 15 years, you know, this year since her first. So, I mean, Paco called it. He said she's when she gets on a roll, she'll just bang out the double banger sangers better than anyone. You know, two uh, excellent scores. She can just put it together when she's feeling it. Sally Fitz called it. She said she'll have the stamina. She'll she'll get into that championship mindset. Uh, Kingy called it. She said he'd ha- that uh, Steph would have the grit. And Lane called it, of course, the great Swellian Queen herself. Uh, gracious in, in the lead up to, you know, possibly losing that mantle of Australia's greatest ever. But she'll always be the goat in our book, Smitty. And, uh, but she did say, you know, if she, if Steph can paddle out on the day knowing that she's the greatest surfer ever, that she is the queen, she'll get it done. In fact... The only person who didn't call it was our pal, 23-time Gold Cone Piece Award winner, Nick Carroll. What happened, Nick? Oh, hang your head in shame, brother. Oh, but maybe it played a little part, Smivy. Oh, and she, <laughs> she, she didn't miss him in the after, in, in the post oh, interview no that I saw on, on Tom Carroll's Instagram, just absolutely ripping in oh, the to boot, Uncle Froth. Fair up the corner, the great Nick Carroll, mate. Oh, there's so <laughs> many Gold Cone Pieces up there, but she still had plenty of room to sink the boot in. And uh, one of the most sustained displays of just high performance and total dominance seen since John John Florence at Margaret River 2014 or 15. Uh, that, that performance on finals day is the stuff of absolute pure legend. And she just brushed aside her opposition, Smithy, like fucking she was a bulldozer in a field of paper daisies or a fucking samurai sword against, you know, a handful of wooden spoons. She was masterful. She was goddess-like. She was everything that, you know, she deserves to be. And uh, I don't know, mate. I think if you put all her best waves together from the day, you'd have as much fun watching her just, you know, flawless fucking carving as you would watching Searching for Tom Curran 150 bongs in. I just reckon she (laughs) fucking nailed it. Yeah, it's so true, Vaughn. She had the look of a, a hardened veteran and suddenly the rest of the field looked like brittle little children. She had the look of a champ. She had the look of grit. And, grit! Uh, mate, I'll tell you, give Steph an overhead or, or head high, rippable right reef. 
bending at her and mate she's untouchable she's on another level compared to the rest of the planet when it comes to women surfing she was completely untouchable uh throughout the event i mean had a little bobble in the first heat but once she overcome that there was no stopping her you know she was feeling it and what a performance absolutely untouchable as i said uh let's get into it eh? let's Let's do it let's rip through i I do want to say just before we we kick in Steph surfing on the day eclipsed anything done on the day, like men's or women's. Like, Felipe was great uh, in those conditions, but Steph surfing, mate, had that, that oh, what is it, that purity of line that no one could match. And I just want to say that, you know, having the men's and women's side by side and watching her just dismantle with absolute clinical precision was one of the great joys of that world title climax. So uh, I, I think... You know, it, it was a, a, a fucking contest for the ages for her. Yeah, no, it's a great point. I mean, the, the conditions, they are, you know, they weren't ideal in one sense, at least for dog the men's shit, side Smithy. of the draw. It was absolute dog shit. Admit but, it, mate. It was absolute. But I'll still take it because it played into Steph's strength so perfectly and allowed her to put on an absolute clinic that, as you said, rivaled, if not bettered, anything we saw in the men's True. draw. Uh, she just had the read on, on the conditions. She was picking the ones with a clean face uh, and the ones that did have the rib in it. You know, she was just in flow with the ribs, reading the, the warbles, mate. Anyway, let's get into it more. Steph versus Breeza Hennessy. Heat one, and Steph just gets off to a horrible start. Uh, absolutely blows her first two waves and, and coughs up a massive early lead to Breezer. But you could already see the signs of something a little bit crazy in the works. Even though she bogged and fell a couple of times, the speed and energy she was generating already looked to cut above a lot of the surfing I'd seen on the women's tour the entire year. Mm. Uh, just that, that rangy body type and flawless technique when given the room to breathe on a horseshoe right point. It's in another realm compared to everyone else on tour. And you could already see signs of it from the moment she stood up. Just, it's just the speed, you know, speed is power. And Steph looked on another level from the get-go. It just boiled down to whether she could muster the composure under immense pressure to execute. And, uh, you know, she was never under more pressure in that event than the opening stages of that first heat. She came through it. She got the score on the buzzer. And it was game on right there and then, Vaughn. Mate, I woke up. I think it was, uh, I don't know, 2 o'clock, 2.30. I set my alarm. I went to bed early. I was all jacked up for the first heat. I missed the alarm. And I got up halfway through the heat, right? Or maybe even closer towards the end. And uh, so I missed the bobbles. But... When I uh, opened my eyes and I put the phone on, I did have my glasses with me, Smithy. So I'm, I'm on the phone. I'm looking through these blurry, puffy, bloodshot fucking skull jellies that I used to call, you know, me eyeballs. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just a blur. And I kind of make out the scores. And I can see that Breeze has got a couple of sevens. And Steph's waves, or what it looked like to me, her top scoring ride was a four. So I was like kind of in my head going, fuck Breeze has got 14 and Steph's got four. That means she needs a 10 to get through this heat. This, this isn't the actual mass. This is what I kind of thought I saw. And Steph gets this wave, which is the wave that, you know, clinches it for her. It was just such a beautifully surf wave, hey? Like, it was surgeon-like. It was just absolutely everywhere where it needed to be. And like you said, mate, the energy, once the bobble had gone and it, and it got sort of... Um, you know, funneled into a, a really nice wave with uh, with no wobbles and sort of like, you know, that uh, in the moment 
thinking took over. Not so much that the brain thinking, but just that uh, reaction to what's in front of you. That that championship champions seem to tap into when they really get on a roll. And I went, man, that's got to be close to a ten. And then I uh, fell back asleep, and I didn't know that she'd gotten through or what she'd got the score. And when I got up, and uh, you know, uh, just a little bit later, uh, it was before she'd surfed the next heat, and I was just like, oh yeah, here we go, because that surfing to me said it's game on. Like, this is going to be really hard to stop now. Yeah, and that was the exact heat and the exact circumstances in which she bombed out last year. So, you know, you could tell that once she got through that that little hardship at the start, you know, once she proved it to herself that she did belong, uh, fuck, she was going to be an unstoppable force. And she comes up against Tatiana Westonweb in the next heat, finds herself down an eight immediately, but she's... Full of self-belief now. She's in rhythm. She's feeling it. She starts building the house. She gets a 6-5. Uh, and then was it a, a 7? And then the piece de resistance, Vaughn. A wrap, a Rio, and then the hammer. A frontside fin ditch. One of the best turns of the year mm. on a big, almost double-up section. She just hucks it. Perfectly controlled. Straight into a couple of pumps and a late flurry of turns. Bingo, bango, boingo. Yes, seals the deal. Whee! Three solid turns, takes the lead, uh, and, and yeah, goes on to to win that heat. But uh, just incredible, incredible clutch, and just seeing the champion mindset, seeing her ability to just stick to her strengths and find the flow and find the grit. There was so much dedication in her performance. She looks so steely and determined. Man, and this is where, Smivy, this is where seeds number one and two, Carissa and Joanna, are starting to get really nervous because Tatiana is the little bullfighter, you know? She's in there like the terrier, mongreling out, going hard, and by the end of that heat, she had been absolutely oh, dismantled, you know? like, And I think that what, uh, what started to, you know, really change was that the waves started to get a little bit sour after this. So there was a, the wind picked up a little bit. And Joanna and Carissa were both, you, you know, they were banking on clean faces. They wanted the opportunity to get out there and just bring, you know, their absolute A game. Meanwhile, Steph's already acclimatized to these, like, you know, tiny little changes that are going on with the conditions. And she's building in confidence, building in momentum. The alarm bells are starting to ring. And you can see it in her heat scores. They built and built through the day a 14.7 combined total, heat one. Uh, she drops a 15.3 against Taddy. And then, as you said, Vaughn, as she as the conditions deteriorate, she's in flow, she's in rhythm, she's in the water. Uh, as they're deteriorating, she puts up a 16.83 against Johan DeFay. Johan DeFay. <laughs> and it's fucking... You don't mess fucking, with the Johan, mate. It's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, mate, it is alarm bells ringing. Uh, the 883 in that heat, just savage. Savagery. Savage. Mental, mental clip off the top. Uh, a little flash of the fins. Then the mother of all meat hacks. You know, just a, a turn combo of the kind of technique style and aggression that simply sets Steph apart from everyone else on tour. Uh, it was fucked up surfing. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of surfing that will win her a, a bag full more world titles. Like, I don't know how you unlock that Steph Gilmore on a more permanent basis, but whatever they're doing at Team Gilmore, keep fucking doing it. Um, yeah, she ended up 
finishing <laughs> finishing that 883 of a radical, you know, just a little mini finna on the end. But her end section flare was money all contest as well, Vaughn. Uh, you know, she was starting mm. off with a little bit of zing and then leaving the judges with a bit of ring sting on the end. Just a little reminder, Vaughn, of the spice she was bringing at the top of the game. Red hot. No, oh, there's no doubt, Smithy. And I've got to say, mate, that board was like Meg Ryan in uh, When Harry Met Sally. I know it's an old pop culture reference. I don't know if you've seen it, but she just has this huge, juicy orgasm in the middle of this restaurant. This woman leans over and says, I'll have what she's having. Well, I'll tell you what, mate, that DHD that she was riding in the finals... I couldn't order one quick enough. It looked so good underfoot. It was just the perfect, perfect board for those conditions. And Steph just had not a single kink all day long. Like, I mean, you gotta, you have to admit, mate, that board was just like electrifying under her feet. It looked like it was, it looked like it had an outboard motor on it at times. She was just so fast and so slippery, and it was just a. Uh, Wow. It was wow, wow, wow. Yeah, well, you heard on the broadcast, actually, that Mick Fenning and DHD had been working on a special clustered fin setup that was potentially adding that little bit of extra zing to the equipment. Uh, It's a similar fin setup that Ethan Ewing's been running. And, uh, mate, yeah, I guess that that really gave her the edge. Ha! Well punned, Smithy. But, yeah. Well punned. Well punned indeed. I'm sure we'll hear hear a lot more about that fin setup, whatever it is. Um, She backs up the 883 against uh, Joanne with just this vert horseshoe-shaped runner, a mental bend in it. And at that point, Vaughn, you just got to sound the alarm. Fern alert. Fern alert. (laughs) Then a skits carved down straight into a pair of Finnerios. Eight points. Uh, So that's an 883 and an eight. The biggest total of the event. And, uh, mate, it's just heads up at this point. Here comes the queen back from the dead, covered in seaweed, swinging a pearl necklace above her head. And Aunt, oh. Auntie Riss has just got to be sweating at this point. She's about to come up against an absolute juggernaut in the final, a fucking merbar femme goat who's dead set, steaming out of her ears and breathing fire <laughs> out of her corn born. Are you kidding me? The Aussie, uh, the Aussie onion in full effect at this point, spinning wildly. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was amazing. I mean, Joanne DeFay looked, uh, you said at the top of the show, she looked like a child. Like she didn't actually, and this is no disrespect to the performances she's put in over the year. Um, she actually said at some point, Smivy, I think it might have been on her Instagram afterwards, you know, that that heat was not reflective of, uh, you know, the year that she'd had as a competitor. Uh, it felt to her as if the whole season had just been lost in a single 30-minute heat, which brought up, you know, a little bit of... Um, it kicked that conversation about, is this the format to decide world champions really into top gear uh, when Joanne lost that heat, came in and said that. But to be fair, mate, I mean, you know, yeah, a great year. She finished in number two in the world. But when the pressure's on, when there is a demand to lift... Uh, when you have got to beat, you know, someone of the experience, of the stature, of the style, of the fucking greatness of Steph Gilmore, well, there's nothing to hide behind. You can't hide behind the uh, the format. And I really believe that nobody, uh, like, nothing Joanne did that day spoke like it was going to beat Steph at any point. She just looked completely outclassed. Yeah, and and let's be real. Uh, best case scenario for Joanne, you know, she's 
third in the world and she doesn't even get a crack at winning the world title. So, uh, you know, she exactly. got a shot and uh, she got fucking smoked. <laughs> and uh, oh. mate, up against Carissa Moore in the final, uh, this is what I loved almost the most of Steph's performance. Just gets the inside straight off the bat. You know, that's what I'm talking about, Vaughn. Why not? Why shouldn't it be yours, Steffi? You've won seven already, Queen. Fuck these Groms. They'll get their time. You're still the apex petter in this game. Take what's yours. Mm. She did, and she opened up an old-fashioned can of whoop-ass in the bowl <laughs> on that first section. I mean, have a look at that thing. That first turn on her first oh. wave takes a deep line around Chris's chandelier and just launches into the bowl and rips the innards out. Uh, a lead foot meat hack on the next section and it's just a B-grade horror movie at this point. There's shrieks of horror from the happy clappers in Carissa's camp on the beach. There's blood squirting everywhere. Steph is just covered in innards from the wave, chewing on them and laughing her tits off like some mad bitch from the Manson family. <laughs> oh my lord. I mean, the style... Oh, what a... What, what, yeah. The style of that... That first top turn gouge in the bowl is just unparalleled. That that turn belongs on a billboard right next to Leslie Parkinson's step off at Snapper on the Wayne de Cooley. You know the you know the one I'm talking about. Oh, I know the one. I know the one. I thought you were going to say uh, right next to a billboard of Leslie Parko's nose, just like right near the airport next to a B52, mate. Just right up there with the classic, <laughs> classic, immortalised moments of our uh, surfing. But the flex. The pure flex, the absolute apex flex of that first move to, you know, just get inside and rattle Carissa. And I thought if there was a moment in this uh, entire event where strategy eclipsed performance, because really uh, Steph just surfed. She surfed her brains out in that comp, you know. It wasn't really about, like, manoeuvring, uh, matching sort of anyone else's energy. It just looked like she was out there surfing her brains out. And where the one moment where strategy reigned supreme was that moment because Carissa Moore, mate, we've said it a million times on this show, Smithy, a million, maybe a billion, but the, the alpha women of, of pro surfing rarely have to get into a dog fight, like a nitty gritty bare knuckle fucking winner take all Donnybrook to win their world titles. They they get on a roll early. They get heaps of points. They tend to just smash it out. And, and it's so rare for them to get to, you know, the last few heats of the year and uh, come up against one of their all-time, you know, uh, or greatest rivals. So whether it's Tyler, whether it's Carissa, whether it's Steph, they've all sort of cruised to world titles. So this was the moment. This was the moment we've been waiting for for so, so long. You've got... Carissa with five world titles, Steph with seven. You know, there is no greater battle that could possibly happen. And Steph was up against it because Carissa is fresh. She's there at the beach. She's watching all this go on. Yes, she's got a raging bull running up her inside. But that moment where she uh, surrendered that wave or, or, sorry, just got it snatched out of her grasp by Steph, that was the big dent in her mental armour. That was where it started to delaminate. 100%. I mean, Steph drops an eight off the bat on the back of the run she's already having. Wow. I mean, Carissa, you've got to be rattled. And she was rattled. From that point on, it's just poor wave selection from the Hawaiian, overcooking turns, just a classic, classic meltdown. I mean, pressure does crazy things to people, Vaughn, and confidence is the ultimate tonic, the ultimate 
If you can create confidence, generate confidence, if you can keep your confidence, you're a winner in this world. And uh, I mean, uh, watching Steph perform, I, I realized that confidence is just loving what you are doing. And she was loving every moment of this. Uh, she, she just needs to learn to love conditions that are, are not her favorite. And if she can do that, she'll win 11, 12, 13 world titles and she'll be loving it the whole time, Vaughn. You gotta love it. I love it. So I've never won a world title in like the water against the number one seed. Like that, that doesn't happen very often. And that's why this new format allows us to win in the water we're battling it out head to head. And um, I was a little hesitant on this new format for a while because I'd only ever won titles in the other fashion. And, and I thought, oh, I don't know, like in a one day event, that's kind of weird. But at the same time, you know, I, I think Carissa has had the best year um, for sure. And I did say that, yeah, I think that she really is the world champion, but at the same time, like to, to come from fifth and to fight through all of the women above me, and then to beat Carissa twice in one day. I mean, she's hard to beat once in a day, we learn twice, um, especially when it's your fifth heat. <laughs> um, and that's, yeah, it's really starting to sink into me that, hey, if you can do that, then yeah, you deserve to be a world champion. I love it, Smithy! <laughs> but yeah, once he came in from that one, wow. I mean, it, it looked to me like, I, I just could not see Carissa doing what she did last year. You know, the waves, they were just sort of on the dismal Peter out. Uh, the the energy on the beach, just you know, having to cop that big mistake, having to let the greatest of all time, you know, snavel one from under you, and, and really, it all sounded to me like it was a, it was going to be a mountain to climb for Carissa. Yeah, I mean, she Steph backs up the eight with a, a six six seven for a few turns and a spicy end section jam, the kind of surfing she can pull off in her sleep almost. Uh, and so that that's basically leaves Carissa comboed, needing a perfect 10 to take the lead with seven on the clock, uh, seven minutes. And, and she doesn't even get close. And, and then, and then you know, you're kind of going, fuck, like, we're looking at, like, Carissa hasn't come up with bigger than a six at this point. Uh, and, and we're heading into heat two. Um, again, Steph opens up with an eight uh, for a, a John John Florence-esque under-the-lip layback gaff. Some incredible calves, Rios. She's just fully in rhythm, reading those little lumps and ramps and ribs perfectly. Uh, there's a Mick Fenning karate kick drop wallet in there. And uh, mm. uh, yeah, just she. I think she backed that up with, with a 6.5. Higher than any single score Carissa has in the event up until that point. Um, Chrissa in big strife, can't get over a six. Steph is just dropping eights, seven sixes like they're going out of fashion. Oh, I mean, a comprehensive, mm. really a comprehensive performance. Chrissa was, she never looked likely. She got completely flogged. Yeah, it was an absolute bulldozing performance. Complete dominance, never gave her a sniff. And there's no way you can fight your way out of that mentally. It's just, just way too hard. And the chat was in and around the event that she'd been doing a lot of extra work leading into it. Uh, I don't know if you've got any clues on that, but I'd love to know uh, what whispers you heard because it really looked like it, you know. It just looked like she had this steely determination that you only get from uh, an immense preparation uh, and far out it suited a well, man. Just the 
that mental fortitude, the, the even the expression on her face, the uh, you know the unwillingness to go away uh, when the chips were down. This was just a gritty performance of the like that we've been crying out for years. Uh, from Steph, you know, you see it here and there when she had Jake Patterson in her corner. Now she's got Tommy Whitaker in her corner, a, a, a gritty sportsman from a gritty sporting family. It looked like mm. it paid dividends. Uh, I mean, it did pay dividends. There's, there's no doubt about it. But it'll be interesting to see if she can keep that momentum going into the new season and, and what this can potentially mean for Steph. I mean, sure, she's she's won eight world titles. She is, uh, you know, she was the Fem Goat. She now is the Oz Goat. And I actually think, I want to go out on a limb here and say she's on track for ultimate goatness, Vaughn. I'm going to, go, mm. I'm going to say that 11, uh, Slater's 11 world titles could be in trouble here. Um, I, mm. I, think, I think Steph could easily win three more by the time she's 40. And uh, I, I guess it, it, she just needs to, to learn to, to love all, all conditions and in particular slabs. Uh, I think she can. I, I think she's good enough to dominate in slabs. And I think that's potentially going to become her biggest strength over the next few years. She has the best technique and agility in world surfing. Um, you know, a bit more strength just in her core and legs and, and physique, a bit more time in lineups at Pipe, Chopes, G-Lan, Cloud Break, uh, and she'll be fucking packing her way to world title wins unchallenged. Uh, I, I think my, my theory with, with surfing slabs is, you know, clearly, Steph, it's not something, it's it's not a kind of wave scape that she's really comfortable in at this point. But, you know, she's good enough. It's just confidence. And, you know, with a lot of slabs, just going out for a sticky beak is enough. You know, eventually she'll feel like testing herself in those conditions. Maybe she'll start off with a pocket ride uh, and be like, you know, that was easy. And, and then just want to go deeper and realize that she can do this because uh, she can do it. She's good enough. It's just a... Uh, a, a comfortable familiarity thing that she doesn't have yet. But I think, uh, you know, we've heard Slater and Nathan Hedge both talk about how surfing heavily, heavy barreling waves improves with age and maturity. And I think that's where the big gains that will be made in women's surfing is they move more and more in that, that direction. And I think Steph can easily put herself on the forefront of that movement. And we, we, we've got enough good slabs in our backyard uh, for her to do heaps of training, really technical slabs that, you know, are essentially a, a lot easier to surf than, uh, uh, sorry, a lot more difficult to surf than your chopes, pipe, cloud break, you know, technical gurgling fucking under the lip kind of slabs. I, I think that's the future for her. I think she's still unquestionably the best high-performance surfer in women's surfing on rail. Uh, you know, she showed us the frontside fin ditches she had on lock. I mean, far out. We haven't seen her perform like that in that kind of progressive realm with that level of consistency yet. And it's all on the back of just hard work in the preparation and uh, leaving no stone unturned. Fuck, it's a satisfying performance, but I think it's just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> Thinking ahead, it's really like I could tap out now and be stoked, but I also... Today I finished and everyone's like, oh, this is awesome. What What's in the future? And and I thought about all of the events this year that I didn't do well at. And they were in heavy conditions like Pipeline and and uh, Tahiti and Sunset Beach. And, and I was thinking about how much room I have to improve. And I would love to win a Pipe Masters. I would love to win a Tahiti event because that to me is the most, or the greatest surfers have performed so great in in the heaviest waves so 
I think it's just about refreshing the goals like that. And when you do that, it seems like the world titles come to come to fruition with it. But yeah, just kind of looking ahead, that's that's what's on my mind. But who knows? Yeah, mate. Look, I haven't actually got too much intel on what legwork that was put in. We'll, we'll get to the bottom of that because we'll get Tommy on and I'm sure we'll get Steph in the next week as well. Uh, I'm going to run a few quotes from uh, a press conference that I got access to, Smithy. Courtesy of Wainsey at the Wads. This is uh, to do with her preparation. After Tahiti, I came back, I came over to Los Angeles and, and I just really knuckled down. Like we had two and a half weeks and I, I just became so diligent on my nutrition, my training. Um, and I just made myself believe that it was possible. You know, I, I kind of simulated the heats and I ran through my head like, okay, it can be done in five heats. That's only 10 waves. At most, it's going to be 12 waves. If you can do this, you can, you can do it at lower trestles. It's a great wave. It's a short paddle. If the swell wasn't too big, I knew it was possible. So when we woke up this morning and the waves had dropped a little bit from the last few days, I was like, okay, this isn't bad. Like this is probably better for me um, to be able to push through and make it happen. So yeah, I, I definitely thought that um, my skill, I could do it, but it would be physical and mental fatigue that would stop me from, from making it happen. And um, I don't know, I just felt great. I was running for adrenaline. I was running off the energy of the people on the beach. And yeah, I just, it, it was funny. I just kept seeing a lot of eights around. Um, even, yeah, just even in like vegetables in my salad, I was seeing eights. Um, you know, today's the eighth in America, uh, two eights on my jersey. But yeah, there was a lot of signs pointing towards that. So, and I actually just said to myself, hey, if you can get, two eight-point rides in each heat, you can do it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think in Steph's head, uh, last year, tail end of last year and going into this this WSL finals day last year, she was underdone heavily. And, and she was sort of like, you know, she'd won Mexico, but she went in feeling like she was a bit of a, I don't know if it was that she wasn't ready, but she certainly just wasn't there mentally in terms of feeling like the queen that she is. You know what I mean? We saw that on, on make or break. She was like pretty tentative about how, what her chances would be like. And I just think she didn't want to feel that again. Like I, th I think she had a much stronger mental attitude this year. She uh, was putting in, you know, performances that had a lot more sting, a lot more belief. And I, I, we talked about that through, uh, you know, different uh, blitzed episodes, post-events, where it just looked like she was a different surfer. But I think what she did at Trestles this year to win this crown even surprised her. Like, I don't think she... I think she went in with a really solid plan. She had clearly done extra work, but she was so good at just staying in the moment. Like... Never, ever looked for one second to me like she was in her own head about what needed to be done or anything. And and like I said, she just surfed, mate. And to a certain degree, Italo did the same thing. He he just went surfing. He, he didn't look like he was uh, out there to sort of put his game plan to work or anything like that. And on that day, that was the strategy. Like, that's what got these two from, you know, the, the first heat of the morning right through to the finals. But I think Stephanie Gilmore in light of what she's achieved, in light of how much fun she had doing it, has given herself a whole new lease on life, a whole new lease on competitive surfing. And I think she will tap into that, that Slater era between 8 and 11. 
Remember where he, uh, I think there was a, a Quicksilver film called Letting Go. And he went on a incredible tear of just winning easy after that. And Steph only has to make the top five now for the next, you know, five to ten years, Smitty. And she'll back herself on that final stay to get the job done. So it is terrifying for the people who have had, you know, had to experience Steph Gilmore at full flight with full belief going into into a Rip Curl WSL finals day. Like, they know what she's capable of. And to be honest, I think there's a lot of work for them to do. Even even these uh, next generation women like your Katie Simmers and your Molly Picklums, uh, Carissa clearly will be there for a long time to come. They've got a lot of work to do to, to, to put waves together as good as Steph Gilmore. These are the moments that I cherish the most. These are the moments that you feel so rewarded when, you know, when you're able to hold the trophy is like you think back to all those moments where you were like questioning, can you do it? Will I make the cut? Am I even worthy of a world title? You know, there's there's all of these questions that run through your head throughout the year. And to to be able to push them to the side and and just, you know, say, hey, I can do it. Let's let's have a go. Then that's been um that's been the best part about this title for sure. One thing that's there's a bit of synchronicity between Steph and Slater. Uh, in this latter part of their careers, Steph's just moving into a decorated late chapter of Slater's career. But, you know, it feels like Steph has turned a leaf, opened up a new chapter, and this chapter's going to be defined by preparation, grit, you know, loving, just loving being in a competitive jersey, loving competing. Uh, she just looked like she was enjoying it so much, enjoying being the apex predator. And um, as well, just she she like being in the moment that that love of feeling good like feeling the strength yeah. the feeling the you prep can feel you can feel when the preparation's paid off and you're in flow and you're right where you're meant to be and and you know if she can just continue that flow that rhythm that you know that training routine keeping the people around her that she's got now if she can just keep it all there and thereabouts and keep putting in the work. She just seems to be an unstoppable force moving forward. It's going to be a, a slightly different Stephanie Gilmore to the one we're used to. She, you know, I feel like there's just going to be uh, a maturity there and a, a level of grit. You know, It's not all like just happening easily for her. She's got to work for it now. Uh, but that that's what comes with age and maturity, the ability to bite down on the cork and fucking <laughs> rip in uh, in the training park. And uh, you know, uh, in the water. And yeah, I, I can't wait to see how this next chapter unfolds. Oh, I feel like she's mate, yeah. well on her track to ultimate goatness. And women's surfing is just so cool, man. Like, I mean, right now with that generation just about, the, the Changers, as we sort of turn to that for the back half of this year, with your Mollies, uh, your Macy's, your Katie's, your Sophie's. Like, it's, it's, it's a... Full next gen wave coming onto that women's tour, and they are going to be hitting peak goat. It could be an absolute slaughterhouse. It's very special. Yeah, I'm. I'm so proud of of uh, my performances today, and and so proud to represent Australia in the surf industry and and around the world. I think um, Australian surfers are, you know, we're welcomed everywhere, and and so I'm. Hopefully, I'm doing everyone proud by representing on the competitive stage but yeah amazing I'm, i can't believe it i'm 
<laughs> so happy. Now moving over to the men's Vaughn, and you know, I've got two words as for why Ethan Ewing or Jack Robinson were unable to get it done and win the world title. Oh, what is it? The waves, mate. The waves. So <laughs> three words. But yeah, mate. For bigger bodies like them, they simply need more energy in the conditions to perform. You know, the waves wouldn't let them get out of second gear. And uh, it was a real shame to for the spectacle um, of this Final Five showdown to descend into a wave-catching contest dominated by two life-surfing gymnasts from Brazil. I mean, mushy lefts with an air wind and small crossshore mm. rights was the ultimate cons for Idolo Ferreira. Uh, you know, he can lead foot at backside where, you know, you can you can generate a big, bit of extra torque anyway uh, on your backside. Plus, you know, he, his, his, his backhand is just fucking out of control, powerful and accurate. And then the, the air wind for the lefts uh, in which he did several ultra tech air reverses and finners with some different grab variations. Absolutely pumped us, Vaughn. Absolutely had his way with Ethan and Jack on his way to the final showdown with Philippe. Oh, mate. Look, I actually... Mushy lefts. God, I wish there was a few mushies on those lefts. Jack and Ethan would have been scoffing them to just try and escape that nightmare that was playing out. But no, mate, look, I, I have a different take on it. I really believe that uh, Jack and Ethan... We, we spoke so much in the lead-up, those lead-up interviews with, you know, Damien Hardman, the Iceman. And I, I felt like they really did not adapt when the surf started getting crappy. Like, they needed to change their strategy. Ethan... Paco mentioned, you know, he's the kind of guy who will sit out there and wait for two waves. He, he won't change his strategy. And it, it worked against him heavily. And, uh, you know, Italo just surfed, mate. And, and I'll go back to that again. You know, if you're going to paddle out on this world title day and not surf, like, you've fucking got no chance. And I feel like they just needed to have a little bit of adaptability or a plan B for when, you know, these waves and this wind and this gutless fucking just, it was, yeah, let down conditions, there needed to be a, a, a strategy in your back pocket for, for not waiting for the sets. Because the sets, even the big ones that did come once the wind picked up were dog shit. Like Steph jagged a couple of gems. I mean, it's easy to sit on the couch and, and throw barbs at like, you know, the strategy. And I'm sure the coaches were like, look, just get the two good ones and you'll get through. And maybe that's right. But... Uh, you know, Jack and Ethan both fell victim to just wanting better better waves that just weren't there. Yeah. They just weren't coming, Smithy. And Robbo, I, I don't know what happened, but he was fucking, you know, he was scratching around the lineup like a headless chook there at one stage. He was like waving to the beach and just rattled. He pulled off a wave that could have been, you know, it was a three-point something that could have been a six-point something and, you know, chucked a bit of pressure or, on Italo and it... it didn't it wasn't fun to watch those heats they, they were really tough viewing and it just felt like they were never really in the headspace to pull it off it just looked like Italo was having a ball and they were in that headspace of going I'm having a cunt of a surf yeah I mean let's be real there was one overhead wave that came through in both Ethan and Jack's heats and Jack got it in the final minute of that heat and he and he put up a serious number it was a, over an eight point ride I just felt like you know these guys are both tipping the scales around about 80 kilos. They're both around that six foot, six one, six two size range. Like they're big bodies, man. Uh, you know, Italo and Philippe, these guys are lucky to be five foot seven, you know, probably around the 70 kilo to 75 kilo mark. Small bodies, life bodies, really able to, 
you know, match the, the d- deteriorating wave energy with light feet and really accurate critical calves and, and aerials um, when the conditions really deteriorate. I just thought we were always up against it. I mean, as far as a different strategy goes, I don't know what you can do when you're that big body in those weak, gutless conditions. I mean, for me, every wave they caught, it just looked so gutless when they were on it that there was not enough power in the waves to match their ability. It was a really, really sad, sad thing. I mean, what would you have done, Vaughn, I guess, uh, in terms of changing up the strategy? Well, I'm no coach, mate. I'm no coach. But, like, I think you've got to surf at least. Like, I just... I, I. you know, the way that Italo was just fucking turning the screw with every single lump that he caught and, like, maybe just get into the dogfight a bit, you know. I, I, it's not Ethan's style for sure, uh, but I thought Jack had the potential to sort of, you know, we know what he can do on little waves. Like, fuck, man, he's one of the best small wave surfers in the world at the moment. Uh, every, you know, manly uh, pre-COVID and then, uh, you know, that was one of the most dismal comps I've ever seen for waves. And he was as good as anyone in that tiny surf, like really putting it in. But by being sort of like, okay, if I put myself on the two best waves, and that's a fine strategy to have, but, you know, with 10 minutes to go, if you still haven't locked a score in and you're sort of hunting something that isn't there, like there's got to be a plan B, mate. You can't just stick to your guns and wait for these waves because if they're not coming, you're not even in the fight. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a hard one. I don't know. It's... I don't know. You know what? We're gonna we're gonna actually speak with Andy King and Tommy Whitaker, and it'll be really interesting to get their take on on how you shift your mindset when things aren't going right in these heats because everything's on the line. And if you're paddling in from that, going, "What the fuck happened out there?" You know, like you don't even have uh, a really strong belief that you you made the right choices or anything like that. Well, you, there's so much to break down. Yeah. So it'll it'll be good to to get inside their heads and even just that atmosphere on the day and and sort of try and work out because you know another thing that I thought uh, Carissa and Joanne maybe suffered from a bit and I spoke about this earlier is like paddling out and the, that wind goes a little bit onshore and and you're not getting those clean wave faces and you got to deal with a bit of bump. If you've surfed since it was glassy and really fun, you can deal with that because it's changing while you're out there. But if you're paddling out to surf for your world title and you're kind of looking at it going, fuck, this is, this is actually shit out here. Like, that's going to have a huge impact on the way that you surf your heat. 100%. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at who we had uh, from the Australians in the men's, you're looking at a guy from North Stradbroke Island uh, with you know just the most perfect beach breaks and points. I mean, lots of kind of short period stuff too. Uh, but yeah, you know, and then you've got a guy from Margaret River, uh, like the home of raw energy Australian surfing up against a couple of tiny little Brazilian acrobats in sideshore <laughs> side mush. It was always a big ask. I'm not surprised they couldn't get it done, couldn't get the job mm. done. But, uh, you know, full credit to Philippe. Turns out in the final, fresh as a daisy, in precisely the kind of conditions he'd surf every other day. You know, he lives right there, four-foot sideshore trestles. That would be his bread and butter. I'm sure most days he's waiting for the early morning crowd to go in, uh, waiting for that wind to come up. And, yeah, you know, you couldn't come up with conditions that he'd be more at home in. It was tailor-made for him in a lot of ways, although the one guy who could knock him over in conditions like that was his opponent, Italo. Opening heat. Philippe just builds a house with solid rail surfing, lots of variety, lots of commitment, nothing too crazy, but scintillating surfing nonetheless. 
uh, Italo. He was hunting the, the left air wind without much luck, but eventually found a bowl uh, and got an eight for it. Just went mad. A savage. Uh, oh, sorry. This was on the right. He got the eight. Uh, a savage mm. backside Rio. And just uh, just the way he's able to just huck the fins through the back of the wave in transition with those oh. backside Rios. How is that turn? Fucking yeah. hell. Yeah, it's mad. It's mad. And yet, you know, like, like the criteria uh, demanded flowing, fast rail surfing with, uh, you know, those those big moments thrown in. And, and Italo did get crucified in the end by his lack of flow. You know, he just, yes, he, he puts it together. Those turns are explosive. They're huge. But in between turns, he, he looked like the worst surfer on the day to me. I was just watching it go, oh, God, this wave. Richie Lovett made mention of it, mate, in, in that uh, – in that interview we did on the morning of the finals, you know, he was saying, I said, is it a wave of truth, Trestles? Like, could you honestly say that, Rich? And he goes, oh, I think it is. I think it, it, it'll expose elements of your surfing that aren't strong if, it, because it's such an easy wave to surf. It's such a fun wave to surf. And to me, I, I really thought that Italo, you can't knock his effort. Fucking hell, mate. He had uh, he had the hog vein at full throb. I thought, you know, at at certain times in those finals, he was going so hard, like you know, when there was barely even a milkable fucking shred of whitewash on the inside, he was still blasting fins out the back of it. But uh, yeah, geez, he looked he looked pretty rank in between turns, and I, I thought the judges were like, no, we need better flow than that. You heard Kelly and Mick sort of bring it up on the lefts that Italo was surfing, just the amount of downtime and the amount of sort of bunny hopping and just skitzing that has to get him from one section to the next really worked against him, I thought. And, you know, he gets, what, in that entire day of surfing, just a, still really struggled, even with all of those aerial theatrics, to get excellent rides. And um, when he did get them, it was because there was that extra bit of uh, X factor in the, the Hail Mary air that he would throw down. You know, there was that excellent backside full rotor and then i think he did a, a pretty nice slob air rev on the on the left as well but yeah man I, I did feel like you know the 29 criteria and the 2022 criteria are very different beasts and and full props to italo i think effort energy and uh absolute fucking desire got him to where it where it got him but philippe was just always going to annihilate him in that surf and that's what happened and philippe surfing mate like just Holy shit. If there's one thing that you can never, ever deny about that guy, it is the speed. He is on another planet. Like, the way that he gets around sections, the explosive, you know, he's not just tapping the lip. He's busting fins, and he's able to keep his board so on top of the water. I heard Mick say that a lot. You know, when he does these giant jams, the board just doesn't sink. It's just constantly on top of the water, like soap on, you know, wet tiles. It just skips and slips, and... Yeah, he, he. You say what you will about his, uh, you know, his performances in heavy water, but that guy is the best surfer, competitive surfer in the world in anything from zero to what six foot. Mm, yeah, well said. I mean, and he didn't even really have to bust out any of the aerial theatrics. It was a pretty tradesman-like performance that got him to the world title win. Uh, as you said, just you know, a lot of 
speed, flow, variety, and he was on the best waves in the heat, which you'd expect. You know, he spent so much time surfing this lineup. He was able to find the ones with the clean face, and even when they did have the rib and the wobble, he was able to go ham and just, you know, match the the fast-moving wave scape with, uh, you know, really high-velocity uh, Rios and, and, you know, finners, like just bashing the fins out on fluffy sections, making shit waves look incredible. Um, yeah, mm. just a... A really high-end performance. And, you know, Italo, as you said, Bourne, like, he's not the easiest on the eye surfer. Um, and, you know, full credit to what he's able to do backside. You know, he can just wind up and just belt the bejesus out of it like no one else. <laughs> it's can, yeah. insane. Uh, and yeah. when he gets on a roll, he is just like a pendulum that's on triple time. Taka, 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 taka. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, right. I mean, look, let, let's also yeah. make mention of the fact in heat one uh, of the final, he goes down by 0.16 of a point. Like it doesn't get any closer. And that was, you know, he dropped an eight and backed it up with a uh, six, nine, seven and, and just, just, just comes up short against Felipe. Uh, how do you get got the nod in that? I, I think we could be looking at a, a very different situation in which Italo was the, the world champ. Uh, I think, you know, Philippe susceptible to pressure, uh, but didn't get the nod. So, you know, I, I think, and I think that was the right call. Like you said, Felipe, incredible read on the cons uh, and just, just looked amazing. He's so light-footed, yeah. but so accurate and lead-footed when he needs to be. The perfect balance. The yin and the yang of high-performance mm. shreddery Vaughn. And when you watch that guy surf in real life, uh, you know, we've we've had the pleasure of doing it. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have been to comps and seen this guy. Like, it's another, it's another, it's completely different experience to watching it on TV. Like, that guy moves across wave face like no one else on earth. And he is such a worthy world champ in terms of, you know, uh, what he can do in a contest. Rashi, I think Ronnie said, you know, like he, he, he saves his best surfing for the singlet. Like you just, you'll always get the best out of him in that environment. So I think, you know, uh, I think that the, the big question now, Smithy, uh, after this WSL finals day is, are we going back to trestles for a third year? Mm. Cause Fucking, I don't want it, mate. I don't think many surf fans want it. I think uh, you you can you can bundle this all up really nicely because the the stories of the day of Steph Gilmore becoming the the all time greatest is an epic one. Uh, I think the format, you know, that we've we've broken that myth that you can't win from fifth. Like, I mean, you totally can. Um, that's not a drama anymore. I, I think the big problem is the waves. If, if you're not given a platform and don't get me wrong. World titles have been won in a lot worse surf with heats that meant nothing, you know, where a, a, a guy, I don't know, like a, a Brazilian wildcard beats Kelly and hands the world title to Mick, uh, sorry, to freaking yeah. Mick Fanning or, you know, someone beats Mick Campbell and Oki wins the world title. You know, there's, there's, there's world titles that just happened away from the glare and away from all that. But the finals format, day it totally works it's a sick way to do it you get the five best surfs of the year all going you know hamming on each on each other but without that surf without that consequence they're one of the most crucial elements of these of, of crowning the world champ is is missing and that crucial element is fucking truth smithy <laughs> truth 
Well, Waves of truth. Well said. Well said. Uh, if I'm just to play uh, devil's advocate, though, I mean, no, go for it. We take a if we move this away from trestles, we're potentially robbing ourselves of several more Steph Gilmore titles because I literally can't cannot see her being beaten out there if it's conditions like the kind we had for the final five showdown. Anything in that head high to just overhead range with the rights on tap, bend and back at you. She is an absolute special. Yeah, it's going to cost us some world titles in the men's. Uh, you know, the Brazilians are far out, man. It, it's hard to see. You know, you don't really get those all-day offshores, those all-day glassy conditions at trestles very often. There's often going to be that sideshore puffing up uh, around about midday. We saw it last year with Medina. Um, you know, so it, it's it's plays so perfectly into the hands of the Brazilian men and plays so perfectly into the hands of Stephanie Gilmore. What do we do, Vaughn? Do we uh, do we decide with? Do we just go for ultimate goatness with Steph, or do we? Uh, <laughs> I'll back it. I'll back you'll it. You'll back it. You'll back it. I'll back and it. And we'll just cough up five men's world titles five to men's. Brazilian well, wave yeah. wizards. Oh. We'll we'll give you five. Uh, we'll give you five international world titles to uh, whoever you choose, as long as we get the next five for Steph. Yeah, yeah, I can cough that, Stephen. <laughs> I right. hey, um, yeah, mate. Look, it's it's uh, uh, you know, I think you know. By the end of the year, we'll, we'll do our uh, our Swellian Awards show where we, we hand out the golden cane pieces uh, and do a big overview of the year. But I think uh, all in all, the WSL have done a pretty good job this year, mate. Like the the, the world champions, I think are worthy world champions. I, I don't I didn't think Carissa was the best surfer by a country mile, regardless of what the points said. Uh, I think she had a really off year by her standards. Um, the fact that she was first and she lost it to the surfer who was fifth, it, it wasn't that big a deal to me, mate, because, you know, I think the women's tour had, uh, what, eight different winners this year? Like, I mean, it was really even right across the board. No one really ran away with it. Um, so, and Felipe, yeah, look, Robbo put in better big wave performances, but so did a lot of other people. And, and you can't argue with the fact that the guy is, is so worthy. Um yeah, I, I think it was a, a good year for the Woz, and I really, uh, I really enjoyed the way that it played out. You know, there was there was a lot to be excited about for Australian surfing outside of Steph, Ethan Hewing, Hewing, and Robbo were iconic at times throughout the year. Yeah, good year, mate. A really good year. Oh, I'm frothing on an it. absolutely incredible year. Crazy waves, cones of mortal conequence. We saw veterans coming from the doldrums to put Wild on incredible cards. performance. Wild cards. Uh, we saw the resurgence of this Australian sporting culture, and I think that was a huge unspoken part of Steph's success here. You know, she had Mick Fanning in her corner. She had Lane Beachley in her corner. You know, the world champs, the apex predators, Joel Parkinson, Darren Hanley, and the rest, Tom Whitaker, Andy King, you know, the big dogs, the apex predators, all getting in the corner of Steph. And not just Steph, but the Australian surfing, like elite surfing community at large, all backing each other. And we saw what it did, mate. We've got a, a women's world champ, uh, the greatest of all time in the division. And now we also have a number of basically unheard of surfers from Australia in the top 10, you know, pushing. We've, we've got two men surfers in the, the final five. So it was a massive year for Australian surfing. 
uh, and a, a great spectacle all year. Could have done better at G Land. Uh, you know, that was maybe the only the only slight negative. Just I would have liked to seen uh, you know G Land Cook maybe bring Cloud Break on at the expense of El Salvador. I thought that was a bit of a mm. nothing event. Um, but yeah, a, a, a great year, highly entertaining. I think the way that the WSL has moved events around, putting pipe in uh, January was it uh, or February, like a master stroke. They've picked, mm. they're, they're picking the eyes out of the global swell season, uh, and it was just a great spectacle. Performance barriers shattered, uh, and a gritty veteran performance from the all-time goat, the uh, all-time Aussie goat that is all-time female goat. On track for ultimate goatness. I can't wait for 2023. Oh, mate. Bring it on, Smithy. And it's all eyes on the Chang now. Come on, Australia. Come on, you good things. Let's get 20 Aussies re-qualifying for the start of the 2023 season. You beauty. Competition surfing. Rashes. Pure tour nerdism. 